Are you an elder or deacon in your church? Are you concerned that your pastor may be reaching a place of burnout? Focus on the Family Canada has designed a retreat for pastoral couples. Help them stay fresh and renew their excitement about their ministry in your church. Help them pause from the busyness of life so they can take time to receive from God and deepen their connection to Him. If you want to bless your pastoral couple with rest, renewal, and reconnection with God, visit carithretreats.ca. That's carithretreats.ca. Today on Focus on the Family, you'll hear how a man went from high-level drug dealer, also known as a street god, to a pastor and evangelist. Made it down south, and that's when I hit street god status. I mean, we started making money like I've never seen before. We were in the middle of several drug wars. 30 of my friends got killed in in between this time frame, and we're just in this game, and now I'm seeing all this money coming. You'll hear a really vibrant testimony today. Thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I met Dimas Salabarios at a Salem radio event a couple of years ago, and I was so impressed by his love for the Lord. And once I heard his backstory, man, I was even more impressed. This is a man who has overcome incredible odds. And I know our listeners are going to be fascinated by his story especially if you have a prodigal child. As you'll hear, Demos is living proof that no one is beyond the reach of God. No one. Demos pastored in New York City for many years and has shared the gospel on every continent except Antarctica. Oh my. I'm sure there's some penguins there that might listen to the gospel, <laughs> yes. but there you go. Maybe Pat- he'll get an inter- invitation <laughs> from somebody down there to come see Antarctica. You never know. Pastor Demos is the author of the book Street God, which tells his life story in more detail. And we have that book here at Focus on the Family. The proceeds go right back into ministry when you request it from us at focusonthefamily.ca. Here now is Pastor Dimas Celebarios speaking at Harvest Fields Community Church in the Bronx on today's episode of Focus on the Family. So today I want to share with you uh, my testimony. And one of the reasons why is The Bible says in Revelations chapter 12 and 11 that we can overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So I want to tell you a little bit of my story. Um, I I didn't always look the way I look right now, and uh, and I just want to walk you through some some really um, tough things, some hard things, some very real things I experienced. Now, growing up, I grew up in Queens, New York, in the Hollis area of Queens. Uh, This area was called Cambria Heights. My mother was a principal. My father was a captain of correction and an Air Force guy. So I came out the house. It would always be like manicured lawn. You know, it would be a very beautiful surrounding. But a couple of blocks away is where a lot of the crazy stuff would go on. And um, I remember, you know, my mother got me into the best school district. Her and my father had separated, and he lived in Bayside, Queens, and my mother still stayed in the house by Cambridge Heights. So we got into this all-white school district in Bayside. So the school took us on a trip to see the movie E.T. And y'all remember seeing that? E.T. phone home, you know? And I remember I left out of there. I was so happy. I was like nine years old. And I said, man, I wish I could just ride my bike and just launch into the air, you know. I mean, that was my dream. 
But then when we came out of the theater, we started to walk, and there was a big sign of the movie that's coming out called Scarface. And I looked, I said, what's up with that? And many of you may remember this, but Scarface was going to be rated X. Not because of pornography, anything like that, but it was going to be rated X for the power of the content. The actual content of the movie was so intense. So at age 10, I went in there, saw that movie, and it had a real negative impact on my life. I left out of there with a dream of becoming a street god. I left out of there with a dream of becoming one of the largest drug dealers in New York City at age 10. And, you know, by age 11, I finally went back to middle school, and I remember I was walking the halls, and I saw one of my friends. And this is not, you know, uh, one of these stories like, you know, whenever we think of a drug dealer, we think of somebody with a black hoodie in an alley, like, yo, come over here, my man. You know, I got the stuff. You know, no, it wasn't like that. It was a fellow classmate pulled out this bag of these little dots of mescaline tabs, which looked like a tip of a number two pencil was broke. And he said, yo, man, he said, you want to buy these? I'm selling for $3. He said, yo, it will rock your whole day. You'll be laughing all day. And I remember I was like, I didn't even believe him. I was like, that little dot you're telling me could do something? He was like, oh, yeah. I said, man, here's $3, man. You fronting. And I took it. I said, what do you do with it? He said, you got to swallow it. So I swallowed it. And, you know, back in the day, I don't know if people still do this today, but we were big on writing these little notes to girls that would say, I like you. Do you like me? Yes or no? So I wrote this girl this note. And, you know, half an hour went by, I was like, I'm feeling the same. 45 minutes went by, I'm like, I'm great. Then the girl walked down and she looked at me, she said, I like you. And I said, you like me? (laughs) And the drug kicked it, I started crying, walking down, oh, she likes me. (laughs) Oh, yo, Tamara likes me. Oh. And then I was sitting in a classroom. I could not control my emotions. And then walked in the principal with this um, man with him. And they said, today we're going to have a special assembly on drugs. I sat there. My heart was pounding. Because, you know, at that age, you just feel like teachers know everything. I was like, I'm busted. I was like, they're going to know. And I remember I went into that assembly And the guy was talking, and the giggles just came over me. And the guy just looked at me, and I knew he knew. But then he kind of second-guessed himself, like, this kid's 11. Nah, no way. And just kind of went on. I was there. And at that point, I told my friend, I said, I never want to take it again. I'm good. And then my friend said, well, why don't you help me sell it? And then I said, yeah, I could do that. And then I became also a drug dealer at age 11. Then we took it out into the streets, and I'd walk around selling the mess tabs. Then I kind of realized very quickly I wasn't going to become Tony Montana by selling mess tabs. So then we found out that this girl in the neighborhood had like a pound of weed. I went to her, started hustling weed, you know, did pretty good with that. And then I remember, you know, we sold out all the stuff, and she didn't know how to get more. 
And one day we were walking down to McDonald's. And I went down to McDonald's, and I'll never forget it. This guy who's from my neighborhood, he had this beautiful Cadillac, and he was only like 18. And I was like, Dad, look at that car. And I remember my friend said, yeah, man, he's a crack dealer. And then it went into my head, crack. That's the way I could get a car. I was like, this is the way I could really do this thing. So I went and started working for them. Hustling for them, learning, you know, the ropes, learning about jail and, and how to not get busted and sell. And I started to get arrested from time to time. But my father, since he was a captain of correction, he knew a lot of judges. So I was getting passes over and over again. And also my mother had money, so she always kept me with a paid lawyer. So every time I went, I'd get a dismissal, I would get, you know, a slap on the wrist, probation, another probation, one-year probation, a five-year probation. Over and over again, I kept getting this break. Until one day, the only day that I was really, really sort of (laughs) innocent, I came out the house, and I'm walking, and I was going down to check on some of the workers, And all these cops pulled up surrounding me, and I was like, I'm good. I'm not running. I don't have anything. And then when they pulled up, they took the drugs off this dealer that they had in the back of the car, and they came and put it on me. And they said, which is my street name, Daylight, they said, Daylight, beat this one. And I was like, oh, man. And when I went to court and I had my lawyer, he came and he said, look, he said, He said, you've been arrested nine times already. You beat nine different drug cases. We're not beating this one. He was like, this one is looking serious. So I was sent to Rikers Island. You know, I went in there for a year. And Rikers Island was hard. I ain't going to front. You know, I went in there. Everybody I knew from Queens said they were from Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx. So I'm the only dude representing Queens. Like, where you from? I'm from Queens. Like, oh, Queens is soft. And the next day I know I'd be in a fight. Next day I'd be in another fight. I mean, it was horrible. Then finally they put me into this thing called shock. Got out, came out. I was so excited. I, I just, shock was like awesome. It was this military thing where you had to do 100 push-ups and run miles a day and all this stuff. I came out with my mindset like, yo, I'm going to like go straight. I'm going to do the right thing. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. John Avery Whitaker is an incredible guy, but have you ever wondered what makes wit, wit? Find out in the new Young Wit book series from Focus on the Family. In book number one, nine-year-old John Avery Whitaker moves to a new town, makes new friends, faces a new bully, and solves a 70-year-old mystery. Young Wit and the Trader's Treasure is available at focusonthefamily.ca. That's shop.focusonthefamily.ca. Families are facing challenges today like never before. At Focus on the Family Canada, we're here to equip families so they can find support and God's hope for their situation. More families than ever turning to us for help raising their children, navigating marital issues, and dealing with anxiety and stress. Will you donate so these families can find the hope they need to face today's challenges? Make a monthly commitment or a one-time donation today at focusonthefamily.ca family. Do you worry about tomorrow? 
Does the future feel uncertain? Is the past too painful to bear? Focus on the Family Canada is here to help, so you never have to walk alone. Every morning, our staff lift up your prayer requests. If your burdens are too much to carry on your own, you can request a free one-time call with one of our counselors at focusonthefamily.ca today. That's focusonthefamily.ca. We're here to help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. In the only job that was available to me was White Castle. And let me tell you, all my manpower for four bucks an hour, it did not work. And at the end of the week, they gave me $75. I was like, when I was used to sometimes clocking a G in an hour, because this era that I'm talking about, there was one block in Queens that was owned by Fat Cat Nichols that made $150,000 a day. You're talking, I mean, real money. So when I got the $75, I was like, I tried it for another week, and I was like, I can't do it. And I went back into the drug world. And I thank God my mother stepped in again. She said, I'm going to send you down south to stay with your brother. I went down there. I tried to get high there. I couldn't find a thing. I mean, he was in the woods. In the, you don't have a car down there. It's over. And I realized from those drugs, I lost all my self-esteem. I forgot who I was. Then I started to find myself again. I started to buy clothes. I started to get dressed. I started to remember I like this and like that and all that. Then I got myself together, and then he sent me back to New York. My mother called up, said, I got the money to pay off some of these people you owe, the most wild ones, and went and paid them all off. And I remember I turned to my friend. I said, well, guess what we're going to do? I said, we're going to hustle crack, and this time we're not going to use it. Now, some of you know for real. I never used it again. I just hustled it. And that time, I knew the mind of the addict. So I'm like, yo, I know how to win this thing. And I trained all my workers. With, it was kind of like I used to call it the drunk man style. Like we never drunk. But what I did was I would chop the stuff up and put it in these smaller like bottles so when people would come, I would tell them if they give you a $10 bill, act like you're dizzy and you don't know what you're doing, and just give them five. So everybody thought they were getting over me like, yo, this dude can't count. But what I was doing was I was growing the market, and I took over this whole area. And then one day, I mean, I felt like I was on top of the world. I had a parole officer I had to report to. I was getting the GED program stuff going down. And I remember I walked in there to see the parole officer, and I was sitting there, and she said, uh, I want to talk to you. I said, how's it going? She said, it's going okay. I said, so what's up? She said, you're going back to jail. She got up and handcuffed me. I said, what? I said, for what? I'm in a GED program. What's going on? She said, you have turned in three dirty urines of cocaine back to back. And I said, I don't even get high. And then I thought about it. Like the movie Breaking Bad, I was cooking the drugs and the cocaine was going in my pores and I didn't even know what pores were. <laughs> so then I'm sitting there and I'm having flashbacks of Rikers Island. One time 
This dude, you know, he sliced my face with a razor. Thank God, you know, it was a dull razor, so I don't have the big, you know, buck 50 sign that you see on some people. And, you know, he sliced me once. I started thinking about all the fights I had, and I was just sitting there. And while I was sitting there, she got up and walked out, and I just started to slip the cuffs to my knees. And then I put one foot over the other one. one foot. Next thing I know, I'm sitting there with the cuffs in front of me. And I'm sitting there like, all right, you pulled that off. Then she came and she sat in front of me. I said, oh, shoot, she didn't see it. And she was like, okay, you're going to go to jail in maybe 90 days, in maybe six months. And I jumped and said, no, I'm not. And I grabbed the door and opened it. And now I'm running. And I was on the fifth floor. So I would hit this. I always had a lot of heart. So I would hit the steps and I just leaped down the steps. I mean, heading with my face forward. Bang! And I would hit the bottom. I would run, jump down, bang! And I could hear an army of cops coming down the steps after me. So I'm running, jumping, boom! Running, jumping, boom! I'm running. Now, I knew down at the bottom, it was always this officer there. And I said, I got to get around this dude. So when I came around the corner, he wasn't there. I wasn't even a Christian, but I yelled, praise God, and ran outside. (laughs) Now I'm on Jamaica Avenue. This is like 42nd Street. I'm running, get out the way. I'm knocking people down, running, move. And I ran into this uh, mall called the Gertz Mall and dipped inside of this barbershop. And nobody in the barbershop saw me, but I could hear them yelling, yo, they chasing this dude in the mall. Yo, they chasing this dude. Then one of the managers opened up and saw me. I had the cuffs. I was like, yo, dude. I was like, call my friend, please. And I told my friend's name. And uh, he was like, all right. Now, this is the era, you got to remember, of the big chains. I mean, if you had ropes, that was you. If you were a fly, you had links. You know, you had the nice links and the medallion and all that. So my friend, he was like one of these links dude and, you know, and we were doing that. So he said, yo, I, I got a plane. He said, stay right here. He went down to one of the guys he bought the chains from and he got a metal cutter. So he came and clipped my cuffs and I said, put me in the barber's chair. He was like, are you crazy? I said, no, man. I said, trust me. I said, if you put me in the barber's chair and you just give me a shirt, they're looking for somebody cuffed. They're not looking for somebody with their hands moving. So I was there getting a cut, and every time the cops came in there, I would just be like, yo, man, the Knicks, man, yo, they let us down again, they garbage. And then the cops would walk out. So then one of the guys pulled the car around, and I got up, and I tried to act like I was short, walked, got in the car, and took off. Now, where did I go? The worst place to ever go, the girlfriend's house. That's why you see on TV and the news, caught him at his girl's house. Went to my girl's house, but I knew I wasn't stupid. I said, I got like 20 minutes here. So I went in there. We're getting stuff together real fast. I called up one of my drivers, and he said, yo, I got somebody that could take off your cuffs. I said, bring them. He said, it's going to cost you. I said, I don't care. I'll take care of them. Guy came in, gave him $100. He took off my cuffs. And then I don't know what came over me. I just said, yo, dude, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a parole officer. He went out the front door. We grabbed everything. We went out the back door. Ten minutes later, they rushed my girlfriend's house. But I was gone. Then the next day was Halloween. So I told my girl, I said, I got a plan. said, what? I said, you got to give me a wig. You got to give me a dress. 
I said, we're going to go down south. We're going to get this money. So on Halloween, I was the tallest woman you've ever seen. <laughs> went through Amtrak, got on the train, went down, made it down south. And that's when I hit street God status. I mean, we started making money like I've never seen before. We were in the middle of several drug wars. 30 of my friends got killed in, in between this time frame. I mean, 30 of them were dead. And we're just in this game. And now I'm seeing all this money coming. And then I get this crazy idea. I was like, man, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to get a little chocolate tie and whatnot. About the, you know, I want to visit some people and all this. So I came to New York. And on my route driving to New York, there was this other drug dealer whose girlfriend was well-known as a witch. I mean, this was some stuff that happens down south. And i never forget, I was in this car sleeping, and we just heard the horns honking. Eh, 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 eh. It just kept honking. And I remember I woke up and looked, and I saw the girl driving past me, like, looking at me like this. And we all saw her, and we were all, like, talking about the whole ride. Like, how did she see us? How did she find us? We're in a car. We got black tents. This ain't even a car we use. And then we got all the way to New York, and I was walking down the street, and that girl popped out, grabbed my arm. And I remember I yanked my arm away from her, and she did some, like, weird move, and I just pulled it away. And lo and behold, when I got back down to North Carolina, it was like I completely lost my mind. I started to see things in shades of red. I mean, I was walking around the house trying to find a gun to kill myself. But part of me was trying to stop myself. But I was still moving. And one of my friends grabbed the gun and held it. And I tried to get it. He pushed me away. I got so angry, I went over the kitchen sink and just started to smash all the dishes with my fist. And that's how I got a lot of scars on my hands today. Blood was flying everywhere. I looked outside. I saw someone had their door open, only down south, not New York. But they had a door open, and I went running to their house. I don't know to this day who they are. I opened their front door, ran in through their living room, and ran out their back door. Now, could you imagine that? You sitting there. Some dude running and ah, blood everywhere, ran out. And everywhere I went from that point on, because news travels really fast in a town like Winston-Salem. So everywhere I went, blocks would clear. Like I would walk to a block, it was up, my man, how you doing? Hey, hey, block would be packed. I'd turn around, everybody was out. And I was like, what's going on? And then I said, man, I knew I needed help. So I called up my mother and I said, Ma, I said, I'm struggling. I need help. So this is hard. And she said, what's going on? She's like, I'm losing my mind. I'm seeing everything in red. Can you help me? She said, why don't you go to church? I said, Ma, I need real help. And I hung up the phone. Bang! Wow. Well, I know you're going to want to tune in next time to hear how this story ends as we hear from Dimas Salaberrios on Focus on the Family. John, what a cliffhanger. And remember, if you can't be with us next time, get the CD or audio download so that you can hear the entire presentation. Or you can uh, get the Focus on the Family app for your smartphone. Yeah, those are available at focusonthefamily.ca or call us if you need some more details, 800, the letter A, and the word family. 
John, there's so much to reflect on from what Pastor Demos uh, shared today, but I'd like to comment on just a couple of points. Um, Demos said that it was seeing the movie Scarface, which was rated R as a 10-year-old boy, that inspired him to become a drug dealer. Think of that. One of the taglines for that movie was, the world is yours. And you can see how that would appeal to a young boy who had no power. And let me tell you, parents, uh, movies have a huge impact on the hopes and dreams of your young people. So you need to help them choose carefully. And we can help you do that through Plugged In. Focus on the family's media review website. Uh, We are here to help you uh, make those good media decisions for your family. Yeah, look for the link for Plugged In online. And if you really want to stay current on your media choices, subscribe to the Plugged In Show podcast. Uh, The details are right there at the website. If you're the parent of teens, Plugged In is a must-have resource for you. Uh, Our staff covers the whole gamut, movies, TV shows, music, and now video games too, books, and even reviews on YouTube channels. It really is amazing what they do. It sure is, John. Another point I'd like to make is that Dimas said his parents helped him avoid punishment. In fact, he had an attorney who managed to get a dismissal or probation for Dimas in nine nine drug cases. And it just makes me wonder what would have happened if Demos had really felt the full weight of the law the first time around, or maybe the second. Maybe he would have figured out that the consequences for dealing drugs were just too painful. So parents, as hard as it might be, don't shield your children from the penalties for their bad choices unless the punishment is truly unjust. If they pay the price now, chances are they won't be paying a bigger price when they're older. And obviously, God had a plan to redeem Demos, but he also allowed a lot of painful consequences, like a full year at the notorious Rikers Island prison there in New York. Yeah, that's a great point, Jim. And when your child is very young, that can be as simple as taking them back into the store if you discover they've stolen something. And uh, confessing to an authority figure like the store manager can have a big impact on a youngster and can help them really count the cost the next time they're tempted to cross a line. Wow. You've never had to do that, have you? Only a few times. (laughs) Were were you the kid or the parent? I was the parent. Well, (laughs) those are important lessons to learn. And I always didn't do it that well. And Demas had to learn some lessons, too, on a much bigger scale, obviously, even after he became a Christian. And we'll hear more about that next time. But there's so much more to this story than we're able to share on the broadcast. So I'd highly recommend the book Demas has written called Street God, the Explosive Truth true story of a former drug boss on the run from the hood and the courageous mission that drove him back. It really is a a well-written account. One reviewer said, easy, entertaining, and edifying. I especially recommend giving this book to young people who are living that lifestyle. I'd agree. And let me encourage you to get the book right here from Focus on the Family, where the proceeds go right back into ministry. Help us as we support and save marriages, encourage parents, protect the lives of unborn babies, and so much more. We're a nonprofit ministry, and we need your partnership to support families all across Canada. And when you get in touch, ask about how to get a copy of the book Street God by Dimas Salaberrios. And you can reach us when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or donate online and request your book at focusonthefamily.ca. And when you get in touch, be sure to ask about a CD of today's program to pass along or to listen to again. 
And if you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend to tune in next time to hear how Dimas got to this point in his life. I remember I got up at that moment. I felt such a peace like never before. I mean, this incredible peace. I took all the crack out of my pocket. I started dumping it in the garbage. I looked up to heaven. I said, God, I'm never going to sell crack again. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 